Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And uh, you are all the ones who got the memo. At 10 o'clock, we'll see the ones who didn't, right? Because they're going to come in thinking that they're on time and they won't be. But that's all right. So uh, as you know, we are going to be talking about heaven for the next five weeks. But here's, I want to ask this question. Let's say you have a, a friend, a family acquaintance, 12, 13-year-old boy or girl. Um, they get diagnosed with something. that They're on their deathbed. They know you. They know you're a Christian. They know you believe in God, and, and they ask you to come over, and you come over. And, and this kid says, what's heaven like, and, and am I going to go there? How would you answer that? Would you be able to answer that? Would you stumble across, or would you be able to give clear biblical truth and, and hope to this person. Now, what's the guarantee for every human being? Eventually, we're all going to die, right? The, the only constants are death and taxes. All of us at some point are going to die. What happens when we die? What will heaven be like? And, and here's the thing, as I've studied through this, I was a little bit overwhelmed by how little Christians and even pastors know about Heaven. The Bible actually talks quite a lot about heaven, and some will say, well, we can't really know. We have no clue. That's then, that's there, but we can know what's been revealed, and quite a bit has been revealed. And the more we know, the more I think we're going to want to go there, to be honest. The, the more we know about what that's like, the more it will change the way we live here. You know, in every uh, society, Throughout history, there's always been some kind of understanding of an afterlife, right? The Egyptians, they, they had their kind of view. Chinese, all this. There's always some, in general, some kind of view of the afterlife. Because in our heart of hearts, we know it. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has also set eternity in the human heart. There's a piece of every human soul that knows it's eternal. That knows there's something more to it. But the question then is, well, what's it going to be like? And which one is true, right? So Eastern, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, you know, they would argue that, that heaven is really you lose yourself. It's when you get over basically the illusion of the self. You know, that's why they do all the things they do. That your individuality is actually an illusion. And so you need to go through these, you know, whatever path to realize it's just an illusion and get, get rid of your desires. And then, boom, you reach nirvana where you cease to exist. Sounds horrible. <laughs> right? I mean, we are a self. How about the biblical idea that God made us individuals but part of a collection on purpose for a purpose? So what is it going to be like and what's our authority? Do you remember some years ago um, a boy, a 10-year-old boy, he got in a car accident, I think it was. He was in a coma. Alex Malarkey was his name. And when he woke up from his coma, uh, he started telling stories of the things that he saw. And they ended up writing a book that was, I think, a New York Times bestseller book about the things that he saw. It was The Boy Who Went to Heaven, something like that. And it was really popular in churches. And by the way, whenever these things happen, often they're really popular in American churches. Well, it came out later that he made it all up. Right? He confessed to making it all up. It was kind of a lie. And as I you know, see these things through the years, why is it that we as Christians can be pretty gullible with that stuff? We, you know, we latch on. Oh, they saw this. They saw their, their uncle and their whatever, all this. They saw the angels. Well, how about we stick with the authority we do have, which is Scripture? Right? There's all these other ones that claim authority, 
But we do have authority. Scripture claims to be the word of God, and it's never been proven false. And it tells us a lot about heaven and a lot about the afterlife. So this, being our only reliable source, is what we're going to look at. This is going to be our source for five weeks. There's enough information in here to cover five weeks, and it's going to be exciting. So if you didn't invite anybody today, invite them next week, because they need to know about heaven. So we can know what has been revealed. Now here's the Bible. When it talks about heaven, it uses the word heaven in three different ways. So in the very beginning, you read Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, plural, heavens. The first heaven is the sky, where the birds fly. So sometimes, as you're reading scripture, the word heaven is used for where the birds are flying. Other times, the word heaven is where the stars are. God placed the stars in the heavens. And so that's the second use of heaven, is is kind of the solar system, the universe out there. Um, And then the third way is the heaven that we're talking about, where God dwells, right? Right? Where God exists. Now, God dwells everywhere, but a place where he is uniquely and powerfully present. So there is the place where God dwells. And when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, he then ascended into heaven. And there was a little bland, right? He ascended into the sky, into a cloud, and then was no more. He went to this third heaven where he is now at the right hand of the Father. So the third heaven is the one that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be looking in John chapter 13. So turn to John 13. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, and the page number in that Bible is page 998. Make it easy on you. Page 998. Yeah, if you brought your own Bible, I don't know what page number it's on. But we're going to be in John. And in John, here, the context, Jesus is going to be talking about heaven because he had told his disciples, this is right before he's going to the cross, and he tells his disciples, I'm going away And where I go, you cannot come. And then he gives them the great commandment, love one another. And he gets through that. And after that, they're kind of like, wait a minute. We're still thinking about that when you said you're going away and that we can't come. Because they thought he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. But in their understanding, he was going to set up his reign and rule as king on earth then. That's what they were looking forward to. So for him to say, I'm going away and you can't come with me, they're troubled by that. And so that's the context for what he says uh, in John 13, starting in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then Jesus addresses this this question. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So here, again, the disciples are troubled because he's going away. He says, where I'm going, you can't come now, but you will come later. And then he describes it. He says, I go to prepare 
a place for you. You know, in my father's house uh, are many rooms. You know, older translations say many mansions. Here's the thing. As we look at this, as you read scripture, you have to remember a couple things. For one, it's not written to you, right? Scripture is written to somebody. And John wrote this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the first century, written to people in the first century. And he was written in Greek. And so we have an English translation from the Greek. So it was written to them. And when we understand what the original author, one of the original readers to know and understand, then we can understand. And the words used matter. This word place, you know what it means? Place. (laughs) Right? Heaven is not an idea. Heaven is not a state of mind like some would claim. Heaven is a real place. This word means place. So this is in your notes. Heaven is a real place. Whenever that word is used, it's always for a real, actual, defined place, not a state of mind, not an idea. And then he uses the word house. This word house is used 73 times in the New Testament. 70 of those, it refers to a dwelling place, a house. It can refer to a household as well, right? Sometimes a household was saved and they're all baptized. But most of the time, it's used for an actual house, And in this house are many rooms. And so here's the picture that he's describing. The picture is of in the first century, a family could have a house, a dwelling place where they would live. And when one of their kids got married, they could build another room onto the house. And so these homes could keep, you build on, you build on, right? You keep adding on. That's the picture that they would have had when he describes this. They would have that picture of, okay, he has a house and he's adding rooms for us, meaning there's space for all of God's people. So heaven is a real place. Again, this is a big deal. Um, as I studied through this, the idea of Christians of, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's ethereal, it's, it's out there, we can't really know what it's like, and it's just kind of an idea. It is a real place. But what is it like? So here's a, here's a picture that comes to mind. When you think of heaven, you know, what do you think about? Most of us, do we, do we have that? There we go. <laughs> Most of us kind of have this idea of heaven, that, that we're going to have wings, and we're going to sit on clouds, right? We're going to be floating. When I asked Katie to, to put the graphics together for this series, I said, find some graphics, do it, but no clouds, And she started searching. She says, I can't find any. (laughs) Like, they all have clouds. Because this picture that we have from movies, from whatever, is is of this place where we just kind of float around. When I was a kid, I thought, because I read Revelation, I read things. It's like, oh, we're going to be singing glory, glory to God all the time. It's going to be an eternal church service. Right? And and, in all honesty, I'm like, I'm not sure I really want to go. You know, the scripture ends with saying, Jesus, come back soon. And if I was honest, I'm like, Jesus, can you come back later? <laughs> right? I, I mean, I'm in high school. I'm like, I haven't kissed a girl yet. Like, can you come back after that? You know, I, I, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I, I want to get married someday and have a family because there's no way heaven is as good as having a family on this earth. Because we have this idea. We, we understand this. We see this. And heaven is just this boring church service. I mean, I'm a pastor. I I like church. I like a church service. But if we did this for eternity, right? And so as you look through, you have these comics and, you know, that one, 
man, I'm bored, or, or I wish I brought a magazine. Honestly, we have this view, a lot of us, that that's what heaven is going to be like. Now, we have a couple books that I used in, in helping put this series together. They're available out there. Uh, Randy Alcorn, Heaven. Chip Ingram, The Real Heaven, they're really good books. Um, some of them, you know, they're teaching what the Bible says, but then they're also making some assumptions, which I think is fun to do, about what it's going to be like. But Chip Ingram writes this. He says, contrary to popular cultural culture and the last five movies about heaven, we're not going to be floating on clouds, wearing white robes, and playing harps. Heaven is very tangible and real. The world we now live in is an old earth that has fallen, but there's coming a new heaven and a new earth that is real, physical, and tangible. That's pretty cool. I mean, as we start to get this idea, it's like, wait a minute, it's going to be like this, but better? So Jesus, here in John 14, maybe you've heard this. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. That's the end of, of 2, and he says it again in, in verse 3. If I go to prepare a place for you, have you ever heard this? You know, Jesus, for his first 30 years... You know, he was the son of Joseph. He was a carpenter, right? He, he was a construction worker. So Jesus is now, for 2,000 years, he's had his tool bags on, and he's building a place. It's going to be really cool. Maybe you've heard that before. This idea here, this, I go to prepare a place, it is real, right? It's a real place that God created. In the beginning, God created everything. So God created it, but this idea of I go to prepare a place, this is in the aorist tense. You don't need to know what that means, really. But it means it happens one time. It's not a, an ongoing construction building. It's a, he does this one time. What he's talking about here is, I go to prepare a place. I'm going to the cross, right? The only way we can get to heaven is through the cross. Sin is what separated us from, from God for eternity. You know, you look in the Garden of Eden, and things are perfect. In Genesis 1 and 2, things are awesome. And then the woman eats of the fruit, right? And she messes it up. But as you read, where's the man when she eats? He's right there with her. So they both sin and everything changes, right? And God in Genesis 3 gives us the first prophecy of what he's going to do about it. He says, I'm going to send my son. He says, basically, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent's going to bruise his heel. That's Jesus on the cross. And so the, all the scripture is pointing to Jesus is going to come and solve the problem of our sin issue. So Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus is the way to get to heaven. So that's what he's saying, I go to make a way. D.A. Carson says it this way. It is the going itself via the cross and resurrection that prepares the place for Jesus' disciples. Jesus went to the cross, and by that he became the door that anybody could enter into heaven. Remember when Jesus on the cross, what, what did he say as he was hanging there? He said, it is finished. It's the same message. I came to do what God sent me to do. He died on the cross. And that blood covers our sin. You know, it's neat when we get this big picture of the Bible. In the beginning, it was perfect. We messed it up because of sin. In the end, it's perfect again. And all the middle is what God is doing to get to us. So that God can then get to Jesus to get us to eternal life. But heaven is a real place prepared by God. Now, why? Why did God prepare heaven for us? Have you, have you thought about that? Does heaven exist? It's a real place. We've settled that. Is it so that, uh, so that we have a motivation to be good? A motivation to behave while, while we're in this life? 
why did God create us to begin with? Was he bored? You know, he, he needed some playthings. No, God created us. Scripture's clear from beginning to end. God created us for his glory. We exist for him. He didn't need us, but he made us for his glory, and we glorify him in relationship. So we were made. I mean, this is the deep questions of life, right? Why were we made? Why are we here? We exist to be in intimate relationship with God, glorifying him forever. Forever. That's why he made us. Adam and Eve, when they were first made, they had a relationship with God where they would walk in the garden and they would hang out. They hung out in relationship with God, a perfect, unbroken relationship. That's what we're made for. That hasn't changed. It's messed up because of sin, but God is not, he's not a loser. God wins. He's going to bring us back to the original creation of a perfect relationship with him forever. And so that's why Jesus, here he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back so that where I am, you will be also. We will be with Jesus. Now these disciples, of course, for them, that's exciting. They knew him. We know him as well. We have the Holy Spirit. If we're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. But we haven't yet seen Jesus face to face. We will see him face to face. We will be with him. So heaven is a real place prepared by God to be with his people forever. Again, it's, it's Eden 2.0. And it's not just up on some clouds. We don't become angels, by the way, if you wondered. We don't become angels. We remain human forever with God. So then who is going to be in heaven? Who's going to be there? It's a real place prepared by God to be with his people. Who's going to be there? In Revelation 5.11, and the book of Revelation is John, the apostle John. He's writing it because God gives him a vision and tells him to write it down. He's probably the last apostle alive when he writes the book of Revelation. He is exiled to an island Right? All the other apostles have been martyred. They've been murdered. He gets sent off to an island saying, we don't want to hear about this Jesus anymore. There, Jesus appears, gives him a vision, and he writes down what he sees. And in this, he says this. He says, then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Angels will be in heaven. Now, there are angels on this earth now. We can't see them. They're spiritual, but they're very real. And in heaven, we will, see the, we will be there with the angels. The angels look on earth and see what Jesus does, and, and they marvel at what God is doing. There, they will be with us. We will be worshiping together. Myriads and myriads, thousands. There's going to be a lot of them. That's kind of cool, right? I, I mean, we're going to be hanging out with the angels, glorifying God together, but they're going to be able to tell us some pretty cool things. They're going to have some neat stories. They're going to have some spooky stories, too. So there's angels in heaven. Well, there's also people in heaven. Which people? If you take a poll across the United States, 75% of Americans would say they believe in heaven and they're going there. And most people, if you ask how you get to heaven, most would say your good deeds outweigh your bads. As long as I'm good enough. That's how most people, and most religions have some kind of idea there of a scale, that your good deeds and your bad deeds are put on a scale, and as long as your good outweigh your bad, you get in. Well, the problem is, and most religions have this, you can never know what the scale's saying. 
And so a lot of the religions out there say, you really can't have a whole lot of hope in eternity because we don't know. This is why, why Muslims, some of those, they want to go commit suicide in jihad because that's a guarantee for them. That's one of their guarantees to get to this paradise if they die in jihad. But most religions, you can't know. So who is going to be there? 75% of Americans think they're going to be. Are they right? Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus says, here's the truth. There are going to be few who find it. So 75%, probably not. Few will find it. In the same sermon, Jesus will say this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a little bit scary. There are many people who claim the name of Jesus, claim to be Christians, go to church, serve, and in the end, they will stand before Jesus, and Jesus says, I never knew you. These are religious people. These are those of us who think, again, some idea of good outweighing bad, their faith isn't in Jesus, it's still in themselves to do these good things. So how can we make sure we're not one of those? What is the way? How can we be confident? Well... John 14, the passage we're looking at, because they ask him, how do we get there? Jesus said this in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ in this life will go to heaven. There is a heresy popular in American churches called universalism. That in the end, everybody will make it because God is love. In the end, everybody's going to get there. You know, that at the end, they're going to see Jesus, they'll be convinced, and they get to go. The Bible is very, very clear that's not true. The Bible is very, very clear that at death, our option for choosing Jesus is over. That's why it's so important that we share Jesus now and important that we commit to him now. When I was in college, I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. As an intern, I got paid like eight bucks an hour. It was horrible. Um, but it was a good job. It was a good experience. And I worked with a guy um, who was a bit older than me. He was in his early 20s, I think. And, and I was going to Biola University. I was getting a Bible minor and a business degree. And I talked about Jesus a lot. And, and he said, yeah. He said, I, I grew up in church. He said, I, um, I, I believe in God. And someday I'll probably be a pastor. But right now, I'm doing whatever I want. And he was really open about it. He's like, I'm sleeping around, I'm doing this and whatever. And, and he's like, you can actually use the Bible to seduce women. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, what? He said, but someday I'm going to repent of this. I'm like, but if you die right now, you're hosed. You know, in this life, we have this life. When we die, we're, we're done. And that, he was just expressing this heart of I'm going to do what I want. And then someday I'm also going to get what I want, which is heaven. Well, that's not the way the Bible lays it out. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ in this life will go to heaven. Romans 10.9 makes it really clear. The Apostle Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. 
You know, this is the question I ask whenever we do baptisms, and we're doing them today. But I ask, what, we look at this verse, and I say, what does it mean for somebody to be Lord? You know, and last week I was, I was sitting there talking to a couple kids. I said, what is a Lord? They're like, I don't know. You know, is it a king? I'm like, yeah, a king, a king. And, and what's your relationship with someone who is your king? Well, we do what they say. I'm like, that's right. So, so that's the idea. Confess that Jesus is now the one in charge. That we're still going to struggle with sin. We're still going to be tempted. And we're not going to be perfect yet. But the general tenor of our life is, Jesus, you're in charge, and I want to go your way. And when I find myself off, I want to repent and go back your way. That's Jesus as Lord. But then also we believe that he died on the cross and rose from the dead because that is how he covered our sins. So believers will be in heaven. And then the last one, Jesus will be in heaven. He says here, where I am there, you may be also. Jesus is going to be in heaven. That's going to be pretty awesome. You know, I shared it a couple weeks ago that stuck out to some. You know, I always get this picture of Jesus all gentle with the lamb, and he was. But he was also a tough guy. (laughs) I mean, he was also one that when they were misusing the temple, he stopped and he sat down and he made a whip. And then he went and he used the whip, right, driving animals out, throwing tables over. You know, Jesus, you know, beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word created everything. Then you go back to Genesis 1.1. Jesus is the one at the beginning who did the creating. It's going to be awesome getting to know Jesus. He's probably got a really good sense of humor. You know, I I mean, this is God in flesh. We're going to have a relationship with him. And then here's the last point. In heaven, we will receive eternal rewards. This is actually going to be our main topic in group this week. What, what are these eternal rewards? You know, if we place our faith in and we get to go, but, but then is everybody the same there? No, there's actually rewards waiting for us. Matthew 6, 19 and 20 through 21. Jesus teaches again. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's making clear we can't take our treasures with us, but we can send them on ahead. Do you realize that? That our good works here, our sacrifices, our stewardship, these things, it's like putting them in an account that later we're going to get to withdraw from. When we get to heaven, we are storing up treasures in heaven. What are they going to be like? Well, you're going to have to come future weeks to hear about that. But there are eternal rewards. This is probably my favorite illustration. You've probably seen it before. Eternity, right? That's all tangled. But eternity... Forever goes on and on and on. And even this isn't the best illustration because the rope eventually is going to end. Eternity. Earth. Right? This is creation where God spoke. And by the way, God existed forever. God was never created. God speaks and creates earth. At this point, Jesus is returning. And this period of earth is is done and he's going to remake it. And then enters eternity. Forever and ever. I mean, just a little bit of of, uh, context here. But now, if this is earth, if you can see that little black line, well, that's your life. 
That's my life. Our life is so short, right? 60 to 100 years, some less, a couple more. In the scheme of things, our life is really short, but the things that we do here impact this. We think life is so long. We think it's such a big deal, and it is a big deal because what we do right there impacts all of this. And so how is your life? Have you chosen to follow Jesus as Lord? Or in this little bloop, are you like, nah, it's about me. No, I want to do all the things that I want. The problem is at this point when Jesus returns, you're not going to get to enjoy this. Unless in this little bloop, you say yes to Jesus, right? And you surrender to him as Lord. And then the things that we do for his glory, the things we do in faith, the good works, store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And we might not know all the details. We don't know all the details, but I'll tell you this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We think the things in this earth are awesome. Well, God made them. The things in the new heaven and the new earth are going to be all of this but perfected. So don't trip over that. We're going to move to worship. We're going to have communion. Um, but we're going to do some ba a baptism uh, before that. Now, baptism in... Uh, Romans there, as I said, confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. Now, in the book of Acts, we see in the book of Acts, people hear the message, and they believe, and they turn to the disciples, and they say, what must we do? They believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They said, what do we do? And his response was this, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. So people ask the question, do you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, here's the question I always ask with that. You don't, because when Jesus was on the cross, the thief next to him said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him while he's on the cross, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy wasn't baptized, but he had salvation. But my question is, if the first thing a believer is told to do is get baptized, and that person says, no, is Jesus Lord? Because baptism is our first step of obedience to tell everybody there's somebody new in charge of my life. I have a new king, and it's not me anymore. It's now Jesus. So baptism is this picture of us being united with Christ and united with his church. And so as we baptize, we say, died with Christ, because we were, you know, our flesh. We died with Christ on the cross, buried with Christ, and then we raised to walk in newness of life which is a physical picture of a real spiritual reality. When we place our faith in Jesus, we die to ourselves, and because Jesus died for us, we share that which covers our sin. Meaning when we end up in heaven at the end, how many sins is Jesus going to bring up with us? Zero. Zero. He's not going to have a list of our sins. There is going to be rewards for good deeds, but our sins, they're covered. Jesus' blood has covered that out. So, Devin, will you come on up here? Devin has placed her faith in Jesus. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, Devin and Johnny are, are engaged. Um, they're getting married soon. Um, and they're a real example. Devin's been a real example to me as we've met in premarital counseling and talking some um, of someone who says yes to Jesus and then, okay, what does it mean to actually follow him? And so Devin is going to confess her faith, hop in here. Don't worry, it's nice and warm. It's not too warm, is it? Okay, have a seat. 
Devin, have you placed your faith in Jesus as Lord? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for you? Yes. Now, part of following Jesus means he's Lord. Are you willing to go wherever he sends you? Yes. Awesome. Then in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptize you. You might want to cross your arms and plug that nose. Okay. Died with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> You're awesome. Now, as we move to worship, we have communion. Um, if you are here and you're saying, you know what, I I'm thinking about eternity, I want to say yes to Jesus, or I've said yes and I haven't been baptized yet, you can do that right now. We actually have extra clothes over here that if you need to get baptized, you can do it this morning. And if that's you, I'm going to be right here. Uh, come up and talk to me while we close in a couple songs.